Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, November 5th, and we're talking about a bunch of tech earnings. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's eager evaluator of enterprises that exceed earnings estimates, Brian Feroldi. Brian, how's it going? Dylan, it's going great. We got another tech earnings season upon us, and we had an avalanche of choices for this show. Yeah, I mean, a uh, lo- lot of big moves uh, this earnings season. I think one of the things that we had talked about early in the year, Brian, was this year, looking at the results that companies put up, is going to be fascinating because we didn't know what reopening was going to look like, but we did know that a ton of growth got pulled forward in 2020. And having any sense of what direction these companies were going to be going in after that growth got pulled forward, uh, it, was, it was kind of like throwing darts at the board. Yeah. You, you, tech investors could essentially do no wrong in 2020. And there are some companies out there, many of the ones we're going to talk about seem to do no right in 2021. So to your point, a whole bunch of growth that should have happened in 2021 got pulled forward. And that is doing some wonky things to these companies' numbers. Yeah. So so we're going to check in on results from Roku, Pinterest, uh, and uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> third company Peloton? and Peloton. Uh, we're going to be checking in on our results from Peloton, uh, Pinterest, and Roku. Uh, and then we're also going to be talking about with these results, especially some of the more jarring ones that came out, uh, what does this look like for the thesis for these companies? Uh, I know these are three heavily followed fool stocks. Uh, why, why don't we kick things off with Roku, Brian? Uh, a, a business that uh, if folks aren't familiar with, uh, unfortunately, they missed out on a pretty great multi-pagger recently. Uh, it's one of the leaders in streaming uh, and really kind of a household name because it's it's in your hand if you're sitting there watching anything on Netflix. Roku is a classic example of a company that I was just dead wrong about when it uh, when it came public. My first thought with Roku is like the little dongle company that makes commodity hardware that's going to get its lunch eaten by Google and Amazon and Apple. Uh, boy, was I wrong about that. This company is so much stronger uh, than, than that. Uh, and the headline numbers for this company continue to look extremely impressive. Revenue up 51% to $680 million. Uh, That was actually slightly worse than what Wall Street was expecting. But if you dig that into uh, further, uh, player revenue, which it gets from the hardware, that was actually down 26% 26% to $97 million. Now, as investors, we shouldn't really care about player revenue because that is a extremely low margin business. They essentially give those things uh, away. Platform revenue, which is revenue earned uh, from advertising and connecting you to partners like Netflix and Disney Plus, that revenue is up 82% to $583 million. So on that perspective, this company did great. Yeah, Brian, don't beat yourself up too bad about being wrong on Roku because I was wrong on Roku too. I mean, the the story with this company when it first came public was the revenue is coming from hardware sales and we have these platform ambitions. And, you know, tell me if you've heard that story before, right? Like it's it's something that we've heard, especially in the connected fitness space, a lot. And I was skeptical that they were going to be able to pull off that transition effectively. My gosh, have they done so? I mean, the majority of the revenue is coming from that high margin platform segment at this point. You don't really care if they make money on the player side because the other business is so compelling. 
Right. The, 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 the player revenue is really just getting one way to get their foot in the door into Roku's uh, n- a network. And once they're in there, uh, that's when the company can really go to town on, on monetizing uh, them. So that shift that we saw in platform revenue exploding up and player revenue going down, that did great things for the rest of the income statement. Gross margin here expanded by 600 basis points to 53.5%. Gross margin does jump around from quarter to quarter based on the dynamics between player revenue and platform revenue. But overall, a consolidated gross margin of 54% is pretty darn good. Uh, Gross profit here grew 69% to $364 million. So faster than revenue, that's that gross margin at work. Operating expenses only rose 45%. That was much slower than gross profit. As a result, this company's net income went up 430% to $68 million or 48 cents per share. That was far, far better than the seven cents that Wall Street was expecting. Yeah, Brian. I mean, I think if you told Roku investors a couple years ago that these were the numbers this company would be putting up, and this is the quarter they'd be putting up uh, with those types of margins, they would be absolutely thrilled. I mean, this is a a perfect encapsulation of the transition they've been able to make and what it does for a business uh, on its financial statement. So, uh, I know that maybe some people were a little disappointed with some numbers that we can't we saw in this result, but for the big picture on where this business has tried to go over the last couple of years, absolutely incredible. Financially, the company is doing great, but let's get to some of those other numbers because uh, Wall Street is really paying attention to the number of users of Roku's platform. And on there, the numbers were good, just not as good as financials. So the total number of active accounts, uh, that was up 23% year over year to 56.4 million. Streaming hours was only up 21%. So that was slower than active accounts, still up 21% to 18 billion hours. The thing that saved this company on the financial side was average revenue per user. That figure was up 49% year over year to more than $40 on a trailing 12 months basis. So those numbers are good in absolute terms. What's more impressive to me, though, is that if you look at, compare that to traditional TV, Nielsen said that viewership on traditional linear TV amongst 18 to 49-year-olds during this same period fell 19%. So the fact that streaming hours were up 21% shows how much share streaming is still taking. Yeah, and, and I think it's worth digging into some of the dynamics here too, because there are a couple different ways that we're going to see this company grow dramatically. It's it's bringing more people onto the platform. It's getting more usage out of the people that are on there, and then it's increasing ad load and basically having ad prices continue to go up as they're proven to be effective. And so those are three pretty good levers to have, Brian. Right now, they're all working, I think, uh, pretty well. Um, there, there's going to be some slowdowns that happen as the as the platform matures a little bit. But that that ad inventory and ad load thing, I think, is going to be one of the more interesting drivers for them over the next couple quarters and years. Because while it is a monetized experience, I think there's probably opportunity for them to layer even more in in the future. I think so. I think so, too. And if you look at uh, what happened to the company's actual shipments of the uh, the player revenue, uh, one problem that management did note was that their partners, some of their partners that sell TVs that have Roku built into them, they're dealing supply dealing with supply issues that we're seeing across uh, the globe. So that is a a headwind for the company. The company is also seeing labor costs increase or costs increase to actually create their Roku uh, devices. Rather than pass those costs on to consumers, the company chose to eat those costs uh, internally. Yet another reason 
why uh, sales in that business uh, was which was much slower. But uh, to your point, the thesis here is grow the number of users. It's definitely growing and revenue uh, monetize them more. And Rev- Roku is clearly doing just that. Yeah, and I'll say, I mean, I'm not a shareholder of this business, but I'm a follower of this business, and I'm happy for them to eat the costs on that customer acquisition side because the long-term value of having people on platform where they're able to serve up these digital ads, it's so much more compelling. And they're already at a point where they're kind of willing to give away at cost these hardware dongles. Um, so, so I think it's 100% the right move. Um, I do think this this uh, quarter and, and some of the commentary we got from management it was a good reminder that <clears throat> we tend to think of this as the company dongles generally with this company. I think it's how a lot of people kind of associate the hardware component of their business. But they have a very large piece of the smart TV market, Brian. And uh, that's a huge part of how they actually get introduced to a lot of their users. So if there are any headwinds on the global supply chain side related to TV production, it's going to affect their user acquisition. Yeah, that's that's right. This company essentially provides the TV operating system for so many smart TV manufacturers uh, out there. And on that front, the company just launched a brand new version of that called Roku OS uh, 10.5. Uh, moreover, the company is clearly making moves to expand its presence beyond uh, the U.S. borders. Uh, so it is uh, expanding internationally. It noted particular strength uh, launching in, in Germany. It's also said that its Roku channel is flourishing with new content coming along. So again, if you just look at what the company is doing, it is clearly setting itself up for a long-term success. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think the thesis is totally on track. Some of the forward-looking numbers that we got from the company look pretty strong, particularly given the run that it has already been on so far. Revenue is expected to go up 37% in the uh, in the fourth quarter to 893 uh, million. A gross profit is only expected to go up 26%. So that's management saying that player revenue is going to exceed platform revenue. That makes sense given that it's the fourth quarter, and I'm sure they're going to sell a whole bunch of those uh, of devices uh, out there. Uh, on the profitability side, management is only guiding with adjusted EBITDA, and that's going to be about uh, 70 million dollars. This company is clearly not focused on profitability right now. It is focused on growing the top and expanding the user base. So I think if you're an investor, you can't be too disappointed with those numbers. Brian, when we were planning out today's show and we knew we were going to be talking about these three companies, I wanted us to hit Roku before we talked about Peloton, because I think laying the groundwork for what's happened with Roku so far would set us up really well to talk about the business that Peloton is now and perhaps the business it will become in the future. Because Peloton's, it's very similar, right? It's the consumer hardware business, and that's where most people associate the brand. Um, that That's true. And you know they do make money on their hardware sales. But the long-term thesis is it's a super sticky ecosystem. Once you're in there, they've got the subscription side of their business, and that's really where the money is. Yeah, Peloton is also a hardware play with a software kicker. You could make the same argument for Roku. However, the pricing dynamics of the hardware (laughs) and the software are slightly different between those two companies. Yeah, Peloton's not quite giving it away at cost, uh, and and they're certainly not coming installed uh, in a TV that you're you're maybe buying anyways. Um, but I do think it's it's helpful in in thinking about what this business is and and perhaps what it could become. And we're going to touch on some elements that that kind of play into that. Some de- some decisions that management made recently that I think show they're they're willing to take a little bit less on the hardware side because that opportunity on the virtual side is so much bigger. Um, I, I think of the companies we talked about, uh, we're going to talk about on the show, Brian. This is probably one of the more disappointing results. Uh, this has been generally a high-growth COVID winner stock. Uh, for the quarter, total revenue was up just over 800 million, which 
is only up 6% year over year. That is not the growth rate that a lot of people have gotten used to with this business. Um, it was up 50% year over year in the quarter uh, prior to this and up over 100% year over year in earlier quarters of fiscal year 2021. Uh, this is their their first result for fiscal year 2022 that we're looking at. Um, and losses came in at around $300 million, uh, which is the largest single quarter loss we have seen from them. Uh, and Brian, I think it's, it's helpful to remember, this business was posting positive net income just a few quarters ago. Yeah, if you look at these numbers, it's it's very clear that 2020 was a boom year for this business. Makes complete sense. So many people were stuck at home. You couldn't go out and exercise. You couldn't go to the gym. Demand for their products was completely uh, taking off. And that was the thing that drove the lion's share of the company's top line and still does today. When you look at what's happening today with uh, with um, the slowdown in in supply, with, re with reopening, it makes complete sense to me that hardware sales have pulled back dramatically in growth mode and we're seeing exactly that in the numbers. Yeah. And it's something that's also reflected because of just the way that this business works. And it's kind of a gym alternative. We see it in some of the key business metrics that are a little bit more user oriented as well. So uh, connected fitness subscriptions uh, came in just under 2.5 million, up 1.3 million from the same quarter a year ago. Great growth there. That's, that's pretty impressive. Um, connected workouts, 120 million up year over year, but down sequentially for the second consecutive quarter. Uh, and if you look at those numbers, Brian, on a per sub basis, they clocked in around 16.5 for the quarter, uh, which is the lowest that figure has been in a year and a half. Uh, I, I think what we are probably seeing a little bit, Brian, is a mix of seasonality and also just the realities of a world that's a little bit more open than it was during the heyday <laughs> of, of the pandemic when, when this was a, a product that a lot of people wanted uh, rather than going to the gym. What's amazing about that number is the average Peloton user used their Peloton 17 times uh, per month during the quarter, and that's a highly disappointing uh, figure. I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that that figure was almost 30 per month on average, which meant that the average user was using it once per day. Now they're using it basically every other day. Again, makes total sense. If you're a runner or you're a biker, uh, there are some big benefits to being on Peloton's devices, but I'm sure a whole bunch of people just just wanted to go outside and exercise for the first time. Yeah, I think it makes sense. And and what I think we'll kind of have to figure out with this business, Brian, is like there's probably some calendar year seasonality to what we see in activity beyond just the the pandemic uh, effects that are that are coming in and, and kind of rearing their head with this business. It wouldn't surprise me if the majority of the users that they have are based in North America, that when it's cold in North America, we probably see a little bit more usage of Pelotons uh, as this business normalizes and the massive growth um, starts to have less of an effect on the way things look year over year and quarter to quarter. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of have to see how those trends bake out. But that's one of the challenges of watching a business go from the aggressive, everything up into the right growth mode to that period where it's a little bit more mature and the numbers start to normalize a bit. You have to also keep in mind that earlier this year, Pe uh, Peloton had some PR challenges uh, with it with some of its products and actually had to recall them. So that is also playing on these numbers. It's hard to kind of tease out exactly what's happening there. But I think the real thing that investors were looking at with this number was guidance. Yeah, guidance was not particularly great. Um, management is expecting 14% year-over-year growth for the full year, and you know, you, I, I threw some of those recent growth numbers out there. It's going to be disappointing uh, when you see that ramp down. And the reason for it, primary drivers uh, for that reduced forecast, are uh, really tapering of demand related to the reopening. Management owned that, and then said uh, there's a richer anticipated mix of sales up to our original bike. And I know that the company has done some discounting uh, with some of their hardware recently, in addition to 
Brian, the idea that you know the world is more open. People have alternatives, uh, and and that's something where they don't have to be in their house necessarily for their workouts. The space that they're in, I wouldn't say that Peloton has created the category of home fitness, but I think they've defined it at least in the modern sense. It's a lot more crowded than it used to be, even a couple years ago. You are absolutely right on, on that front. Uh, to me, one thing that has always stood out about Peloton is not that that it kind of helped to redefine this category, but people that you that are in the Peloton community are rabid fans uh, of Peloton. I mean, they use the device consistently. They are huge promoters uh, of the brand. So that will be the thing to me that drives this company's um, uh, success or failure long-term. On that front, as long as we see the average number of uses per Peloton continue to remain high, and importantly, as long as the number of conducted fitness uh, subscriptions continue to grow, that's going to be the number that I'm paying attention to. I don't think this is a company where the top line matters as much as uh, Wall Street is making out to be. I think that's 100% right. And and you know, this business is probably a a couple quarters, maybe a couple years away from what we're seeing with Roku right now, right? Where the majority of revenue for Roku is coming from that high margin segment. The hardware stuff exists, but it's really more of an acquisition vehicle for the business. Uh, right now, hardware is still the name of the game for this company. It's the majority of where the revenue is coming from. Um, the subscription side is not small. Uh, I mean, it's it's like 300 million for this quarter, up 94% year over year. But the majority of revenue, the majority of margin contribution and impact is going to be uh, from the hardware side of the business. And as that struggles, as that hit headwinds, especially some of the supply chain headwinds that also affected a company like Roku, um, it's going to wreak some havoc on the financials for the the business. It certainly is, especially given the dynamics of the price that we've talked about before. I mean, most people know that uh, Peloton devices cost uh, a few thousand dollars to get in versus a subscription to their product cost, you know, what, 20, 30 bucks a month, something along those lines. Uh, th that's th Those are huge. Those numbers are on different planets from each other. So this is just a hardware software business where the software is the really attractive part of this business, but it's going to just take a long time for that to really become the lion's share of revenue. Yeah, and I know there's probably some shareholders out there. Um, I know this is a, a full favorite stock and, and one that's followed by a lot of folks in the community that are disappointed with these results and particularly disappointed um, just with how far down the the business is from from highs, recent highs uh, that it's hit. Uh, this is, I think, some of the lumps that come with being in the high growth space, having some of that growth pulled forward that we saw, Brian, and and a little bit of being a business in transition. You know, I think that a lot of the things that we see with this company are still on track. The the success of the subscription business is there, and and I think we're just waiting for it to really take over the company's financials, um, and that can be a, a multi year process. I think it will be a multi uh, multi year year process to do, and you, and yeah, again, you have to throw in there supply chain uh, problems uh, to the mix. The fact that these devices, these products are still expensive. Plus, once you have a Peloton, even if you love the brand or net promoter, when are you going to buy another uh, one? That that definitely takes some time. So that is just a challenge of selling consumer hardware products. Well, third company we're going to talk about has nothing to do with consumer hardware, Ryan. Uh, but it is a business that we've talked about plenty. Folks, I swear this is the last time we're going to talk about Pinterest for at least a couple weeks. Uh, but after the speculation about them possibly being bought by PayPal, uh, after that deal falling through, Brian, we got the company earnings. And and I will say, you know, I, I was kind of holding my breath a little bit just because with the acquisition talks, I wasn't sure if we were going to be seeing some disappointing results. You know, I just wanted something strong from the management team here. And I think we got that. 
Definitely, definitely did. So uh, pitchers top line, uh, financial numbers looked looked really good. Uh, revenue was up 43% to $633 million. Uh, that beat Wall Street's estimate by just over uh, $2 million. Uh, that number was driven primarily by ARPU expansion, average revenue per user. We saw our global ARPU jump 37% to $1.41. As per usual, the U.S. is the cash cow for this business, generating $5.55 per per user in the United States. But international uh, ARPU also grew uh, rapidly to, to, to $0.38. On a monthly active user side, uh, management warned us that that was slowing down, and we saw exactly that. Monthly average users only grew essentially 1% uh, globally to $444 million. If you dig into that a little bit more, growth was okay. Actually, it was weak internationally at 4% to 356 million. In the United States, though, we saw a 9% drop in monthly active users to $89 million. So again, this is a theme that we've seen with all three of these companies. 2020 was a year that growth was just pulled forward and 2020 year COVID reopening is a headwind. Yeah. And so much of what people were doing in 2020 was so Pinterest friendly and Pinterest oriented, right? Like (laughs) you're spending a lot of time in your house. You're probably going to seek some inspiration on how to improve it. We saw home improvement projects, uh, design projects, all that kind of stuff take off. Uh, and, And Pinterest is a place that people turn to for that stuff. One thing, you know, you never want to see MAUs go down. Ideally, it's just up and to the right indefinitely. Um, One thing I do want to add on the user trends is Global mobile app MAUs continued to grow at double digits year over year. And in the US, the mobile app MAUs remained relatively resilient. That's that's what company management said uh, when compared to the web-based MAUs. And, and it sounds a little wonky to get into the weeds on that. But the way I interpret that, Brian, is we know that Pinterest gets a variety of different users. We get folks that are searching for something online and through Google SEO wind up on a Pinterest page. And then we also have folks who are using the app regularly and are probably interacting with the brand a little bit more. What I read from this is some of the more casual, less frequent users on desktop uh, were the ones that left. And those MAUs are the ones that have, have kind of declined. And that there's a lot of strength with the company's mobile app. And if there is a silver lining in the user trends, I think it's that. It's it's the people that are already very into the platform seem to be sticking around. And those are higher quality users for the company anyways. I think that's a good distinction that you just made there. And one other thing to note about that is management did note that Google's algorithm change, uh, it did see a reduction in its web-based traffic due to Google's algorithm changes uh, during during the quarter. So that makes sense that that would hit the the mobile uh, the, the web uh, users, but obviously that doesn't impact the mobile uh, users at all. So yeah, Pinterest has a diehard group of community that are on there all the time. They're looking for things, they're pinning things, and they're going to be the ones that are going to be shopping and driving average revenue per user higher. So it is encouraging to know that that group remains loyal and active. But long term, if this company is really going to grow as we need it to, monthly average users globally across the board does have to grow. Yeah. And I know that there are folks within the the Pinterest shareholder community that kind of debate the merits of whether MAUs are a useful stat for uh, Pinterest or not. And I think it kind of comes down to whether or not you think it's a social media company or something slightly different, you know? And and I know, Brian, you have talked at times about how it kind of reminds you more of Google than Facebook. Um, I, I sat in on a Twitter space is run by one of our one of our listeners, Max, last night, and people were kicking that idea around. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that because I think right now, 
we're kind of stuck in a spot where we have to look at MAUs, even though I think some people don't necessarily think it's the most descriptive metric for this business. Well, ask yourself, why do people go to Pinterest in the first place? Uh, is it to connect with each other and to message each other? Or is it a place that you go to search and get visual inspiration for things? Whenever I'm on Pinterest, whenever my wife's on uh, uh, Pinterest, we go there with, I have an idea. I, I, I have an idea for a kitchen or I have an idea for a project. I don't know what it is, but if I type in some words, images are going to come up and I'll say, ah, that that's what I'm looking for. To me, that that business model is so much closer to Google than it is to, to Facebook. So I'm on the side that says this is more of a discovery and search engine than it is a social network. I think we're seeing that in some of the results that we got from the company too. I mean, they, they highlight, you know, product searches as a category here up a hundred percent. If, if that's the thesis, that's exactly what you want to be seeing there. Management is making big time investments over the last two years to really make it easy to advertise on the platform, to discover things on the platform, and to shop on the platform. And uh, on that front, advertisers are starting to to take notice. Management did say that it saw increased demand from large retail uh, advertisers. That's one reason why ARPU was up so much, especially in inter international uh, markets. One headwind that the company did note, though, is that it saw lower demand from some consumer packaged good companies, CPG companies. The culprit there was really supply chain disruption, inventory, and labor shortages. So this company is not necessarily immune to those uh, supply challenges. Uh, but but overall, the, my thesis for owning this stock has always been average revenue per user is going to go up. This, this platform is extremely monetizable. We're clearly seeing signs of that, just that in the financials. Yeah, and, and I think that there is... Uh, the, the, the PayPal interest and, and also the, the rumored Microsoft interest, it's you know two really great businesses identifying that there's some value here. The PayPal interest in particular, I think, stoked people to realize that there are some e-commerce ambitions here that um, are not being fully realized in looking at this company as a social media business. And I, I think that's true. Unfortunately, I think the business needs to articulate what that vision is and needs to start executing on it before it can be a driver of uh, the, the, really the, the share price over time. And it, you know, like, until we see that, it's going to be judged on these social media e-metrics. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Plus, you have to add in all the other distractions that we've seen. I mean, what's the common theme that we saw amongst all three of these companies? 2020 was a tailwind. 2021 is a headwind for the business. If you look at all three of these companies on a two-year basis, and that was the only data you had, you wouldn't do anything but smile and say, wow, these companies are growing uh, great. To me, the long-term question for all three of these companies is, what happens in 2022? Like, like the COVID, uh, re the world will be uh, reopened, vaccines will be will be everywhere. What happens to the long-term demand uh, for these business? I think that the growth rates that we'll see in 2022 will give us a much better indication for what normalized growth looks like. Leave it to Brian Feroldi to take the long view. I mean, always, always, always doing it. And I think it's good perspective. You know, um, we, we knew going in that this was going to be one of those years that was just going to be a little tough in the tech space, especially uh, with a lot of the companies we own. Uh, the tough part, Brian, is always the living through it, right? It's if you set the mindset ahead of time, it, it makes it easier, but it's, it's hard to see red in the portfolio. It doesn't matter how prepared you are for it. Yeah, the share prices of all three of these companies have been all over the map, right? And if you're looking at any of them today, they are down substantially uh, from their high. That's a big reason why I always take the long-term view because I am terrible at predicting the short-term. 
You and me both, Brian. You and me both. And thankfully, that's not what people turn to us for, right? That's right. That's one reason why we train people to view it the long term, because that's the only way that we think we're accurate. Uh, Brian, uh, I, I think the the takeaway here is a good one in that the, the thesis for all these businesses seem to be on track. It is just going to be one of those tough years and probably something that we're going to see as we look at more earnings results um, and even earnings results next quarter. I think that the holiday season will be kind of wacky uh, on top of all the other stuff <laughs> that we've talked about. I know ad, ad businesses have been hit a little bit too, uh, which is all to say, folks, if, if, if you're holding some fool stocks, especially some high growth stocks, don't be surprised if there's a little bit of craziness in the results uh, this year and, and in the next couple quarters. Um, but I don't see anything with these businesses, Brian, um, that says, you know, this is something that's off the rails. It's it's removed from where I think people are expecting this business to go. So I always tell people, focus on the business, not on the stock. The stock is going to represent sentiment of the day, but in the long term, it's the business results that are going to win out. Love it. Let's leave people with that, Brian. Thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Have a great weekend, Dylan. You too. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at pool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on. Fool on.